Hello, everyone, and welcome to um, episode 3.2 of First Gen Gamers. Um, episode 4? I'm not really sure what to call it. Uh, it's a sequel to last week's episode. Uh, where Episode 3, Part 2, Electric Boogaloo, the director's cut, Dual Shock. <laughs> I like that. That sounds like a credible 80s sequel title. There you go. Um, I'm Jed co-host is mike um if you haven't heard last week's episode you really need to go back and get it so that way it'll everything will be in its proper context but the tldr version of it is that for this episode rather than going down your uh, a normal game topic or anything uh, generation by generation what we're doing is we're going with the games gaming moments gaming related things uh, that we're thankful for because hmm. it's as we record this it's slightly before thanksgiving um so you know just in the spirit of the of the time of the year what we're thankful for in thanksgiving um in uh, in gaming i mean um and with that might as well cut uh any more preamble out of it yeah pick up pick up where we left off which was the playstation one yeah, so we were smack dab in the middle of the fifth generation. Uh, if you haven't gone back and you're interested, we cover the second through the fourth plus the N64 on the previous episode. And we're we're landing on arguably one of your favorite consoles, the PlayStation 1. Certainly a formative console. Oh, yeah. This was uh, – this console you – know, you know how some people will say that an album is a soundtrack to their life? Um, yeah. At a certain point in time, uh, the, play- sure. the PlayStation 1 console was the video game console of my life for the better part of like four or five years. Like this was this was friends. This was hanging out with each other and playing games. And, and uh, you know, just it. the PlayStation had that kind of middle finger to the establishment uh, feeling to it. I mean, the commercials where Crash Bandicoot was standing outside of Nintendo's uh, headquarters and jeering them and, you know, taunting them. It was just that 90s attitude console. And I was a 90s teenager. So that this console just, it scratched an itch. Yeah. Yeah. It's ironic, too, that it not only replaced, but kind of is responsible for murdering the previous edgy console, Sega. Yeah. <laughs> Because Sega in the early 90s was touting itself as the edgy alternative to Nintendo and uh, PlayStation came along. And it's funny because, I mean, historians will note that PlayStation was set to work. Sony was set to work with Nintendo to make a console together. Nintendo backed out and Sony said, well, screw it. We'll do our own thing. And I'm so glad that happened because... I mean, you, you have the big three, but I really do think when it comes down to consoles from an ip and like games point of view sony and nintendo are really just like head and shoulders above everything else like not to sound like a fanboy or anything and i think that xboxes definitely have a very positive impact in the industry hardware wise we talked about that before but man oh man the games the games man like they they're fantastic you oh, know yeah. i mean on both sides like they both always bring their a game and have been integral in my gaming life as well. I'm like a generation staggered from you, so I think PS2 is to me what PS1 is to you. Uh, but yeah, couldn't agree more that PS1's a great console. With that said, what are the games that are bringing back the memories? What are the ones you're super grateful for? Uh, first one that comes to my mind is Twisted Metal 2. <clears throat> mm, good um, multiplayer game. Absolutely, and that is primarily what we, what me and my buddies did with it was we played multiplayer. Uh, once we discovered the cheat codes for it, then it was just multiplayer mayhem because everyone, you know, <laughs> we turned on invincible or we would watch each other. You know, we'd go, we'd be like unlock. Uh, what was the boss character? Minion, I think. Mm. Um, we'd unlock Minion. Then we'd turn on God mode, so that way we were invincible. And then it was, okay, let's see how fast we can annihilate the entire field. <laughs> um, it just, that game brings a lot of memories back of, like I said, hanging with buddies, drinking Mountain Dew. Staying up yeah, till six. Right. Yeah. You know, it's two hours until the WCW pay-per-view. We got to do something. 
Oh, let's play some <laughs> Twisted Metal too. Hell yeah. yeah. Who is your uh, favorite character? Oh, gosh. Um, I'd be lying if I didn't say probably Minion, but that's a that's a boss character. Um, yeah. Like, who was your main to play as? You know, honestly, I really didn't play as a main. I just kind of filtered through them all. It was, let's see, you know, I just liked trying out the different powers and, and seeing what the different strategies were. Because, like, um, and I'm sorry, I can't remember most of the names of them, but, like, the guy on the motorcycle and the guy who's strapped into the two gigantic tires – Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are really vulnerable, but they were good for hit and run tactics. Whereas the, the, the monster truck, uh, was really good for power. Sweet tooth was just carnage. Um, yeah. sweet tooth and probably the monster truck, I think would have probably been the two I've, I gravitated towards most. I don't remember if it was this early on, but I remember specifically twisted metal black had the preacher character who his special uh, attack is he would launch like a flaming center at your uh, at your car I remember and would that. latch to the front and he would go repent <laughs> and then he would blow up and I thought that was hilarious. Um, good times, good times with the multiplayer game for sure. That's awesome. Yep. What else you got? Um, speaking of wrestling, wrestling games. Um, mm. I'm a lifelong wrestling fan. I've been a fan since I was like. I think eight, seven, somewhere around there. Um, and for, if you're a fan of wrestling, this was the generation where wrestling games started to look like the product on TV. Yeah. I mean, okay, now you compare WWF Warzone and WWF No Mercy and WCW Nitro and you compare it to um, WW2K22 or the AEW game that came out. Yeah, they're light years completely removed. But back then, all of a sudden you had these, you had 3D models and they were Mm -hmm. walking to the ring and there was pyro and there was the theme song and there, you know, it just, it presented what we thought at the time was the closest we were ever going to get to the product that we saw. No, it nailed the vibes. You're right. It's because it had the opening song and it had the intros and the animations. It, it it nailed the vibe of watching a wrestling match. Yeah. You're 100% right. Like, the jump from the previous generation to that, there was a significant difference in just mimicking the feel of actually watching a match. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And it was, and again, another fun multiplayer game. Another fun game to just sit back and watch your buddies play, you know, because all of us wanted to be Steve Austin because... <laughs> Who doesn't want to be the bald guy who flips off his boss and kicks his ass? Sure. Um, but yeah, those, those, the, all of the wrestling games, whether it was WWF Warzone, the ECW games, the WCW games, played them all, loved them all. Yeah. Uh, and I'd say the other game that has a lot of memories tied to it, this one's probably going to be the curveball one, was Monster Rancher. Hmm. Now, for those who haven't played Monster Rancher or even don't know what it is, Monster Rancher is kind of like a Pokemon game, except for there's a couple of differences. Um, It doesn't have the RPG structure of Pokemon. You're not going out into the world and capturing a monster and then raising it to fight and Team Rocket and all, et cetera, et cetera. Monster Rancher you are a breeder. Like it's more, it's like if Pokemon was crossed with like a horse breeding program, (laughs) or maybe if you were just, it was Pokemon nursery, the game. Yeah. So you, you actually take a a monster from a baby and you raise them on a farm and you have to uh, feed them and you have to train them and you have to discipline them and you have to watch how you, how you raise them so that way their attitude isn't overly spoiled, but not overly, you know, you don't also want to get too strict. Um, and eventually the idea is to take them into tournaments and battles and, and make money and become the most famous monster breeder in the land. Hmm. This sounds very basic, but the other aspect that made monster rancher unique is that it used CDs to generate monsters. Hmm. So you could go to the shrine and it would stop the game for a moment. You'd pull the game out and you'd go to your, your CD collection 
um, or PlayStation game collection. You could do either one. Uh, so you could go over there and you could grab Nirvana's Nevermind or Tupac's All Eyes on Me or name an album. And you put it in and it reads the data and then you put the game back in and it generated a monster based on the data. Hmm. Now, you know, everyone who back in the day, we all thought, okay, we're going to put in Slayer and we're going to get, you know, Satan coming out of it or something like that. It didn't work like that. It, I, I'm not sure what mechanics it used, but it used the actual data and not, it didn't take inspiration from the content. Yeah. But aside from that, I can tell, I can't tell you how many times, cause I had a CD collection that was probably 150, 200 CDs big. Cause mm. you know, it was the nineties grunge. We were all, <laughs> you know, all of us bought CDs out the ass back then. Oh yeah, um, for sure. I had a spiral notebook, and I would write down, okay, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. This produces this monster, and Nirvana's Nevermind produces this monster, and Pearl Jam's 10 produces... And I I literally, my buddies and I, we would take turns just going through the CD collection. My buddy had some CDs that I didn't have. Bring them over. Let's try them. And, you know, we did that, and we cataloged it, and so that way we knew, okay... When we want to play as a golem or we want to play as a monol or any of the other monsters that were in there, now we know, pull out this album. That's really neat. And I like the social aspect of like having friends bring over their CDs to see, you know, like what monsters will show up. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And they even, I, the, the manufacturers, Tecmo, um, even programmed in some, spe- there were some. I believe there were some CDs and there were definitely games that gave exclusive content, like anything mm-hmm. that was made by Tecmo. Um, Ape Escape made a gorilla. Um, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Uh, and there were a few others. I don't, Tecmo's Deception made something. I don't remember what. Um, but yeah, the, just we use that again as another social gaming platform. Yeah, that, that would be simultaneously cool and a disaster for the used games market and used CDs if they brought that mechanic back. Like, imagine if you got plas- classic PlayStation 1 games to be read by the PlayStation 5 for the PlayStation 5 Monster Rancher game. <laughs> and so people were hunting down these obscure games just to get the right monster or whatever for the data. <laughs> so they actually did re-release Monster Rancher 1 and 2 on the Switch. Uh-huh. Um, they did a complete, I mean, they didn't do a full blown overhaul, but they buffed it up nice. They had to obviously take out the CD mechanic because it's a switch, but yeah. what they did instead was they have a reference library of a shit ton of albums and games, including albums that came out in between monster ranchers release and now. So there are much more modern releases. You can look up Taylor Swift albums and whoever else is popular now that I have no idea about. Um, So there is this running list. Now it's not connected to the internet. It doesn't update. So it's not like you can pull up someone that's released a new album just yesterday, but Mm. there, there is that there's a form of that mechanic, if not identical. That's really neat. And I can imagine that, you know, that, many years worth of data like you probably spoiled for choice for sure that's really neat uh how do you un- in the newer game have you played it to where you understand how you access that data like do you have to unlock it or how's that work i have played it um i do have it actually uh you just you go to the shrine and you just um search so say you want to look up i don't know iron maiden number of the beast you just go into the search and there's an artist or a title uh, search and you just type it in text. So you artist Iron Maiden, and then it will bring up every Iron Maiden album that they have in the database. The database is by no means comprehensive. Um, there mm. are bands that I found that, uh, I mean, well-known bands that have bizarre omissions um, or will include singles. Um, it's so it's kind of scattershot mm-hmm. uh, about whether or not you get what you want, but it works roughly the same way. Yeah, still pretty neat. Yeah. Cool. All right. I know you rattled off this whole list last uh, time we recorded, but uh, you got anything else for PS1? I'd say the other two games that are just the most important for me, Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which um, it one of my all-time favorite games. I, I think I probably go back and beat that game every year or two. Um, That's cool. It's my 
I've finished a game in my backlog. I don't know what to play. I can't really decide. Fuck it. Beat Castlevania Symphony of the Night again. Yeah, a little palate cleanser. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's cool. And Metal Gear Solid, um, just for being the most blow-away form of storytelling that I'd seen up to that point in a video game. Um, mm. Just taking the idea of story and turning it into a cinematic feeling in a way that I'd never seen in a video game before. It was just it. Even though, you know, you look back on the graphics now, yeah, they're kind of laughable. But at the time, it was beautiful. And the story still holds up. The story is still amazing. Yeah, no, it was cutting edge for sure. And it got a re-release. Kind of contentious, I guess. I enjoyed it, but a lot of people don't like it as much. The Twin Snakes that came out on GameCube. I can't say I ever played it. it. It's basically if you made Metal Gear Solid, but with Metal Gear Solid 2 graphics. And the cutscenes were redone to be a little bit more bombastic. So as a small example, do you remember when Frank Yeager shows up and shoots, um, or not Frank, well, it's when Ocelot and Snake are fighting and Frank Yeager shows up and then like something hits the ground and Snake like jumps back. Well, in the remake, he would do a backflip instead, right? Like it'd just be, there'd be more flourish, Gotcha. Right? Uh, so yeah, if you kind of ratchet up the uh, ridiculous action and the cutscenes, but the game plays beat for beat the same way it did in the original. Gotcha. In fact, I think it even has two discs. Like it's right over there. I could take a look real quick, but I think it does, which is interesting. And it it breaks down the same way the set you put the second disc in in the original game, which is pretty neat. Neat. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I think the reason why people didn't, maybe it's just because it did mess with the director integrity a bit. But I mean, Hideo oversaw it, so it's not like he didn't approve. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But people sometimes just prefer the original because they prefer the original. I'm glad you ended with Metal Gear because that was one of the major ones on my list. Metal Gear Solid was the reason why I owned a PlayStation 1. Um, I had a friend that was a little bit more well-off. He was the one that uh, you know bought all the Sega consoles, and he had a PlayStation and so when I want to play Metal Gear, I have to go to his place. And it sold the PlayStation to me immediately. I just I thought it was such a, a mind blow to be like, you know, oh, the codex on the back of the CD case. And I'm like, the CD case. And I'm looking through my inventory and I'm like, where the fuck is the CD case? And my friend's like, it's over there. And he like points to like his cabinet next to the TV. And I'm like, what? And I like pick it up and look on the back of the box. And sure enough, there it is. And I'm like, whoa, that's wild. Because I had never played a game that had messed with, uh, you know, like a meta style in content before where it breaks the fourth wall that much, especially in so many different ways. Oh, yeah. The Psycho Mantis fight. A lot of people reference Psycho Mantis, you know, and for good reason. You know, he reads your memory card. He knows if you play other Konami games like Suikoden or Castlevania. Uh, interestingly enough, on the Twin Snakes, he reads Nintendo games like Smash Brothers. Hmm. <laughs> He's like, you like to play Super Smash Brothers Melee, don't you? <laughs> and still moves the controller, and then you have to put the controller in port two in order to beat him. And same thing with the GameCube, you switch it over. Uh, and I just, I thought that was so wild. And there were things that I, like, the fact that it was one of those games where your approach could be so wildly different depending on how your mind works, but it would still be a valid approach. I remember... Um, going through the area where the dogs attack you if you don't have the handkerchief. You know what I mean? Like the wolves mm-hmm. will attack you. And my buddy, his girlfriend would get mad at him because he would shoot the dogs. And he's like, well, I, they're going to kill me if I don't shoot them. Uh, but when I played through the game and the dog came at me, I just punched it. I was like, <laughs> and, he went, and he was like, oh, my God, I know you can just punch the dogs. And I was like, yeah, you don't have to kill them. <laughs> right. But it's just the fact that like you have these different ways that you can get through the handkerchief, the punching, the shooting, the sneaking. Um, that really kind of sold it to me. So I raved and raved about it. And then for my birthday, my sophomore year of high school, uh, my girlfriend got a PlayStation and a copy of Metal Gear for me, which is really cool. It was used and the disc was a little scratched. So sometimes the real life cutscenes would skip, you know, the ones where they showed footage of like nuclear disposal and stuff. Yep. Uh, but it, it worked well enough. So, and I was, I was sold from that point. I was super hooked. Uh, I did mention Final Fantasy 8 and 9. I know 7 is the big one, and I definitely went back and played that after I played 8 and 9. But 8 was my first Final Fantasy. And 
it was the thing that really solidified uh, Japanese RPGs for me. I mean, RPGs probably in general as well. I know I had played previously Fantasy Star 2. And we talked and raved about, you know, that game on the previous episode. But it hadn't really dawned on me that I, I should seek out more games like that. Uh, but then my sister picks up Final Fantasy VIII on an LS Airs sidewalk sale for 15 bucks, just to date it completely <laughs> and brings it home. And I was immediately attracted to the school days aesthetic, the fact that you were like in this school with other children, but you guys were training to be mercenaries and they had the whole summon mechanic. And I was learning Final Fantasy from arguably the black sheep of the series that discarded a lot of the previous staples and it pissed a lot of people off. But this is my first one. And arguably, I, I think this is objective to say it's got one of the best soundtracks. Like, people can't deny that, even Final Fantasy VIII haters. Um, but that got me hooked. And then uh, my girlfriend ended up buying me Nine along with Resident Evil 3. And I fell in love with Nine. That ended up being my favorite game for the longest time. Nine, to me, is the quintessential Final Fantasy because it does have all the classic bits. It references a lot of the older games. Every character has their own specific job. The story is very classic Final Fantasy, you know, with the the Dungeons and Dragons or like kind of medieval uh, aesthetic, I guess. You got your thieves and your knights and your dragoons and your mages. Um, and I just, that's my comfort game. Like, I'll go back and play that as a palate cleanser. Um, it's probably one of the few Final Fantasy games I've actually gotten all the trophies on on the re-release. Because I don't know if you've ever played any Final Fantasies modern-wise, but the trophies are hard. That does super hard. That does not surprise me. Yeah. Um, Final Fantasy X, I end up actually going through on Switch, so I didn't get any trophies, but that's the one where I kind of really blew it out. But like for that one, you have to get all the spheres in the sphere board, and that's like that's hundreds of hours of work. Oh yeah. For nothing. Because you could beat the game well before that, even all the special stuff, but they're like, no, finish the board. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, those those bring back a lot of fond memories of just hanging out at my house playing playstation enjoying the games tony hawk's pro skater you know a lot of times with the playstation you have those demo discs right and those were fun you get them in magazines or you know for cheap and they'd have all these different game demos on them and final fantasy 8 i played that on a demo um tony hawks who played on a demo and then that was one of the ones that sold me a game day one i was like we gotta get tony hawks and that was one of those fun stay up till six you know, go to the barbecue joint, get a bunch of food, watch Gladiator, then play Tony Hawk's all night. <laughs> that type of thing. Uh, great times at Tony Hawk's. Uh, Chrono Cross, I wrote down. It was one of those RPGs I took a chance on. And again, I played that before Chrono Trigger and fell in love with the soundtrack. Really loved the different ways that it kind of subverted ex expectations on Japanese RPGs. Like the fact that you completely heal after each battle. So you can just give everything you got when you're fighting battles individually. And the fact that, I mean, you, you unlock a sweep in an amount of characters. It's like, it's at least dozens, if not a hundred, I can't remember exactly how many characters you can unlock and different versions of characters as you travel between two different alternate realities, which was a new concept back then. I mean, nowadays multiverses and everything, right. But you know, it was, it was pretty fresh. Funny story. Um, just, to backtrack to Final Fantasy when you were saying eight's the black sheep. So 97 through 99, I worked for the company that was the predecessor of GameStop. Um, so I, I started off at a Babbage's and then I worked, uh, then I got transferred over, <clears throat> excuse me, to a software, et cetera, because there was both in the same mall. Mm. And they ended up, you know, deciding we don't need two. We'll close the Babbage's and keep software. I remember working there when Final Fantasy VIII came out. Hmm. The number of returns on that game were so high. <sighs> and it was all from people who were pissed about the fact that it wasn't enough like Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. Clearly people who have not played Final Fantasy VI. But Seven was so popular, it did break past. or It was a lot of people's first. Because of its popularity. So a lot of people were coming in expecting a sequel to be like the original. That makes sense. I worked at GameStop during the sixth generation. And the thing that got returned a lot that I thought was interesting was Knights of the Old Republic. Because people just wanted to play a Star Wars game. They didn't know it was an RPG. 
Oh, okay. For those who don't understand, Knights of the yeah. Old Republic has an active uh, RPG system similar to like maybe an online RPG like World of Warcraft or Final Fantasy twelve, where you just kind of enter the attacks and you just kind of watch them animate and then numbers go up. And for folks who wanted like a simple action game, like I've time and time again, somebody turned in like, I thought this was going to be an action game. And they just, they couldn't handle, just like me, little baby Mike, back when I first popped in Fantasy Star 2, didn't understand. <laughs> so I'm wondering how many of them kind of went back and played it later and actually enjoyed it. You know what I mean? Now, yep. that, you know, after RPGs became more ubiquitous, you know? Yep. But uh, yeah, no, Final Fantasy VIII was definitely the black sheep, uh, but I loved it. Resident Evil 3 was probably one of those games that I beat over and over again, specifically because they give you a little epilogue picture that's different every single time that you beat it. And it was one of the games that my sister beat before me. You know, being older gamers, both of us can remember a time where gaming was really only for our demographic and we really wanted our loved ones to play, you know, our sisters, our girlfriends, our moms, but they wouldn't. And I don't blame them because a lot of it wasn't marketed towards them. But whenever they did, it was really exciting because you got to include somebody you cared about and something that you really enjoyed doing. So the fact that my sister bought um, Final Fantasy A didn't really stick to it. But then when I got Resident Evil 3, she beat it before I did. She was so addicted to it. That was really cool. I really enjoyed that. Uh, so that was a really positive memory for me. The fact that her and I got to share like stories about it and talk about like the ways we went through it and how Nemesis scared the shit out of us. <laughs> um, Lunar Silver Story, Lunar Silver Star Story, complete. That was my first like working designs game where I got the full box with all the extra stuff, and I didn't really have a concept of games, including a bunch of different like like soundtracks and toys and memorabilia and mm -hmm. things like that and special edition like uh, instruction booklets i thought that was really neat i love the fact that it had voice acting it was one of the earlier games that i had for rpgs that had voice acting and what i really enjoyed was when i beat the game and i got access to the bloopers where you could hear the voice actors flub all their lines i thought that was hilarious uh so that was always a positive memory of mine when i was in college playing that game and then I mentioned Hot Shots in my list. I don't know exactly what memory I had tied to that, other than the fact that I don't think I've ever enjoyed a golf game prior to that, and golf didn't really interest me. So the fact that Hot Shots got me into golf gameplay, and then from then, of course, Mario Golf, Golf Story, like other types of golf games were, were attractive to me because I enjoy the mechanic now. But Hot Shots is the one that kind of opened that door for me. So thank you, Hot Shots. <laughs> uh, but that, that covers it for me for fifth gen did you have any other memories on any other consoles we didn't talk about no um i think uh i think we covered it between the last episode and this one so uh i'd say we Great. could move on to the sixth generation let's do it all right so um gamecube do you uh why don't we start with the little purple lunchbox do you uh sure. have anything to share on that one? Oh, tons I wasn't an early adopter of GameCube, but I did eventually get it, and I went back to play all the ones that I had missed. The thing that I hated about GameCube, and this is a Nintendo thing in general, the games don't depreciate. Not nearly as fast as they should. Uh, so I was wanting to play Wind Waker really badly, obviously, because I had been following that, and I really enjoyed the way it looked, but it just remained 60 bucks for the longest, and I didn't really understand why when all these other games would go down in price, especially if they've been out for a year or two, right? Um, but once I actually got into the collection, GameCube gave me the chance to play a few Dreamcast games that I was really interested in. So I got to play and beat Grandia 2. Uh, actually, no, I'm sorry. Grandia 2, I played on PS2. So let me, let me separate that. Skies of Arcadia was the Dreamcast game that I got to play for GameCube. And I'm glad that I bought it when I did, because it's one of those games that goes for a lot of money because it hasn't been ported since. Skies of Arcadia on GameCube is also the definitive way to play Skies of Arcadia because of the extra content that was included when it was re-released. And it is a unique RPG in that you play as a sky pirate, and so there's a lot of sky battles. And the sky itself, like you go from island to island, so you definitely have dungeons and typical like on-the-ground gameplay. But the exploration element where you got like extra... Um, currency and renown for discovering landmarks and different things in the sky made exploring the world map itself its own game and the sky was more like an ocean because you could upgrade your ship throughout the the story 
to eventually go higher so you can access some higher areas in the sky that most ships can't get to. But then you can go into the deep sky. And the deep sky was kind of scary. And even the music was more ominous. And it felt like you were in deep ocean. Right down to like some of the creatures you would run into. Because you weren't just fighting like other sky pirates and other ships. Sometimes you'd run into monsters too. So the game was really attractive on a lot of different levels. It even has at one point in the game you get marooned on an island that you eventually turn into your own pirate base. And you get to deck it out and pay money to kind of expand it and that was my first run in and brush with that type of game mechanic because it's it's not in every single game nowadays but you definitely played a game or two that has like the oh build up your base while you play the game uh most recently chained echoes that uh that indie rpg that came out that was fantastic that everybody should play um so yeah a lot a lot of fun memories with skies spider-man 2 uh, I love Spider-Man games. If you look at my collection, you'll see I have damn near all of them. I'm actually playing through the modern Spider-Man 2 right now, and I'm loving it. Um, but the original Spider-Man 2 was modeled after the Sam Raimi Spider-Man 2 movie as far as the story. And, of course, they added some things in, including some fun Mysterio bits. But the thing that really stood out to me was that was the first time they really nailed the web swinging in a Spider-Man game to where it, you felt the momentum. You know, it, it, it basically walked so that um, Insomniac Spider-Man could run, right? Right. And it was the first game where you could stand on the top of a skyscraper and then jump down and land on the ground below. Prior to that, Spider-Man games, you if you were up in the, in the high part of the city, then when you fell off, like you just dropped into a cloudless abyss. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like they didn't really have the technology or they didn't develop you know the way to efficiently make a spider-man game where you could have open world gameplay in that respect so the fact that they were able to pull that off for the first time that was really memorable and a lot of people's favorite spider-man game for a long time and for good reason and i got the gamecube version because i felt like games loaded slightly faster on the gamecube than playstation 2 because the laser didn't have to go across as big of a disc if that makes sense yeah, and I think that's sound logic. I think that GameCube loaded faster than the PS2. I could be wrong, but that's why I did it. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think I've played any games where I've played them both on that was cross-platform to be able to compare. Yeah. But just going on vague memories of how fast games would load in general. Yeah, I think they did load a little faster. Yeah, yeah, I, I could probably test that out sometime, or probably just look up a YouTube video. I'm sure somebody else has already tested it. Smash Brothers Melee, that was my first Smash Brothers game, and I'm mean, a huge fan of Ultimate, and Smash Brothers itself, it's just a celebration of gaming, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, they didn't have access to as many licenses, and there were some Nintendo properties that hadn't come out yet, but it was still, like, a vast array of different trophies that you could get in the game, and it would have 3D models of all these different Nintendo games, some of them obscure that hadn't even come stateside. In fact, one of the characters in Melee, as you recall, the Fire Emblem character, Marth, his game hadn't even released in the States, so we hadn't played a Fire Emblem game when that game came out, which I think is really interesting. But it generated enough interest in Fire Emblem here in the West that they eventually started releasing the games over here. And I'm super thankful for that. Love Smash Brothers for everything that it stands for. Uh, first, Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing's a vibe. I think we're going to bring Animal Crossing up again in an upcoming video because to me, the fact that it accurately represents a calendar, like it follows an annual calendar, it celebrates all the holidays, it has all the seasons, it feels very cozy. And, you know, you're you're going around doing favors for villagers and catching bugs and cataloging them and catching fish and cataloging them and um slowly expanding your house by paying off your mortgage to nook by the way people knock tom nook they say he's a slumlord um and i mean not that i have love for landlords but have you dealt with a landlord before i've never met one that was just ah pay me when you can it doesn't matter when are you shitting me yes please right I mean, if, if my mortgage company came to me right now and they're like, hey, Mike, I know that we're charging you so much money every month to pay on your house, but, you know, just pay whenever. And when you pay it off, maybe we'll expand it for you and then you can pay that off. I'm like, what? Yes, please. Thank you. Citing the That's contract. A, whatever Yeah, it there's takes. no interest? Oh, my God. So, no, Nook is the best. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> He's awesome. And the fact that, like, 
you really feel like you invest in the local economy in the town because the more money you spend at his shop, the more he expands his shop. Like you really have an effect on the lives of the villagers there. And of course that expands as you go through the sequels of animal crossing, like uh, new horizons is amazing. Um, eternal darkness. We talked about that in the first episode because of what a mind bend it is. And again, Anytime a game gets meta like that, especially when it breaks new ground, it it sticks out to me and really becomes a very memorable uh, game personally. So I had to shout out Eternal Darkness for that. Soul Calibur 2. I got the GameCube version. Now, this is interesting. For those who don't know, Soul Calibur 2 was released on PS2, Xbox, and GameCube. But they had this cool mechanic where they would have an exclusive character for each different platform. Now, this is prior to the days, and we'll get into it eventually, where downloadable content, DLC, microtransactions, none of that existed. If you wanted more game, you either had to buy the sequel or very occasionally, like Dynasty Warriors might release an expansion game, but it was still its own physical disc. And that was it. Yep. So when you made a decision on Soul Calibur 2, you really made a decision. Do you want to have Spawn as a playable character? You go for Xbox. Do you want to be lame and have Heihachi as a playable character? Then you get the PS2 version. I'm so sorry, PS2. Nothing against Heihachi, but you can play as him in other games. If you want to be awesome, you get the GameCube version. You can play as Link. That's cool. Straight from Ocarina of Time. I love that. So I definitely got that version for that, and I really liked that they did that. I thought that was neat. Resident Evil 4 was gnarly. I remember... (laughs) (laughs) we were in GameStop playing me and my best friend. We were playing um, the demo in GameStop in one of those little kiosks. And they let you, I think play up through the beginning village part where the chainsaw guy, you know, comes after you. And there's this part where I'm exploring going up to that. And I look up and one of the villagers has been stabbed through the head with a pitchfork and it's just pinned to the wall. And like ooze is leaking down from their face And I remember looking at that and me and my friend, we were in our late teens, I believe, maybe even early 20s. I can't remember exactly when the game came out and how old I was, but I think I was, I was it 2000. When did the game come out? I have to know. Was it 2006? Um, I need to look that up. I need to, I need to date myself because what he said matters. Um, 2005. 2005. Okay. So I was already out of high school. Uh, by about four years. I graduated in 2001, just to date myself. Um, and we were sitting there, we were looking at the game, and we were saying, man, this game is not for kids. Because, you know, the GameCube still had that kind of kid-friendly aesthetic attached to it. And then when we looked up at that image, my friend looks at me and he goes, I don't think this game is good for adults. <laughs> like It was creepy. You know what I mean? And I remember him being too scared to play it. So he would, when I bought it, he would invite me over and he would watch me play because that was the way that he could experience it. Because... The whole them getting in your face and having to shoot them in certain places or else they attack you was just too nerve wracking for him, I recall. And I thought that was interesting because I always thought of him as a tougher guy than me. So it was it was cool that I could do this thing that my friend couldn't do. And that always kind of made me feel neat about playing Resident Evil 4 because I was really good at it. Like I unlocked everything in that game. I got the elephant gun, all the mercenaries, all the stars, all that good stuff. I was really decent, but I played it all the time. Um, Pokemon Coliseum. Oh my God. Like I hadn't, I had briefly played Pokemon Stadium for N64 and it was kind of neat, but Coliseum was its own Pokemon adventure. And in this one, you can actually steal Pokemon. Now to be fair, you were stealing Pokemon that were being abused by Team Shadow or whatever they were called. I can't remember what the team was called. You had this special thing and you had a friend with you that could tell you if one of the Pokemon was a shadow Pokemon that you should kidnap in order to save them. But that mechanic alone and the fact that every battle was double battle just gave it such a unique flavor um, that I don't know, like it really stuck out for me. And again, it's one of those games that I bought in its hay and then appreciate it like skyrocketed in value. Pokemon games in general, like I'm glad I'm a Pokemon fan. Because all the Pokemon games I own alone by themselves probably net me at least 500, if not more. You know what I mean? Like just wow. because of how pricey they are. Um, definitely probably more, actually. I'm probably underselling that. Uh, Hulk Ultimate Destruction. One of those games like Spider-Man 2 that makes you feel like the hero you're playing as. They haven't made a decent Hulk game since. I'm sorry. They tried a little bit, I think, with the next generation's Hulk game, but they just fell short. 
Uh, but Ultimate Destruction was the first instance of Hulk hands where he would split a car in half and then bang the pieces of the car into the ground until they became like these iron gauntlets that he could use. Um, traversing like a 3D environment. It's a little janky and definitely not the best looking game to go back to. But at the time, wow. You know what I mean? Like that, again, made me think about, wow, we can have good superhero games that aren't X-Men or Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Yep. Because <laughs> at the time, there there really wasn't. Uh, I think that about covers it for GameCube for me, though. A lot of awesome memories with that console, though, for sure. Super grateful for it. All right. So for me, the GameCube, um, my memories tied to it aren't necessarily tied to specific games. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first memory of the GameCube is because of where I was in my life at the time. <clears throat> and that was... Um, I had just moved from where I grew up, Oregon, to Michigan, which is where I live now. Uh, My wife lives here, um, or my wife lived here at the time, well, still does. And uh, I moved here to be with her. We had gotten engaged. um, So I was starting a new life in a new area, never had seen any, you know, didn't know anyone around here, didn't know where I was going. And her family was infinitely bigger than mine, like... I had my parents, and that was it. I had my grandmother in town. Thanksgiving was a very, very small thing. It was we stayed in the house or we went over to my grandmother's. So when I moved out here and I found out, no, we go, like my, my mother-in-law has four siblings, so they would rotate where Thanksgiving was hosted between the siblings every year. So one year it was at this person's house, one year it was that, and everyone was split into different states. The year that I moved here, 2001, it was at her brother's house in Virginia. Mm. So now I'm not just going somewhere new. I'm going somewhere new and I'm going to meet all five of my mother or all four of my mother-in-law siblings, plus their spouses, mm-hmm. plus their kids. Right. My wife has on that side of the family, I think has 11 cousins and someone brought a GameCube. I none of the cousins knew me. None of this was the first time meeting any of this family. So here I am for an only child from the middle of nowhere, and suddenly I am thrust into this situation where I'm meeting like 25 new people and I can't keep anyone straight. And you know, the adults hang out with the adults and the kids hang out with the kids. And even though I was in my early twenties, we're hanging out with the kids because we're not the adults. <laughs> so they're all playing. GameCube and mm. that that is my one of my memories of the GameCube is that first Thanksgiving and they were playing um what was the first Star Wars Rogue Squadron game that came out of was it Rogue Squadron 2 I think um, um might have just been Rogue Squadron but I know what you're talking about yeah, yeah it's yeah. a good game I yeah. have it it's over there very good game um I remember watching them play it and there was a couple of other games that they played I couldn't tell you what it was now it was 22 years ago Uh, but I remember just being in that basement with them, getting to know them, getting to know all of the cousins and the thing that we orbited around, whether we were playing it or not, was the GameCube. That's cool. Uh, the other memory I have of the GameCube is that sometime about a year later, maybe for some reason, my wife just got a wild hair and decided I want a GameCube. Okay, get a GameCube then. So she got a GameCube. Um, I already had my PlayStation 2. She had a GameCube. Mm-hmm. You know, we we traded games. There were some games she played on the PlayStation, and there was a, and I think the really only the game the only game that I played on the GameCube was Super Mario Sunshine. There's a but, good one. But that was the game that we shared, and it was really my my eye awakening or my awakening moment, my eye opening moment of Holy shit, not only can she be good at games, she can kick my ass at some of them. Because <laughs> she, I, I'm not good at Super Mario Sunshine. I Maybe it's the jetpack mechanic. I don't know, but I it's wasn't. It's not the easiest Mario for sure. I think Odyssey is probably like one of the easier ones. But yeah, yeah. Sunshine can be tough. Yeah, it was, 
I had a challenging time, and that was my first 3D Mario as well. I didn't oh, wow. have I didn't have an N64. I never played Super Mario 64, so that was my introduction to it, and it was difficult. Mm-hmm. She, on the other hand, picked it up and just destroyed the damn thing. And it, she made it her mission to get every one of those. Um, what were the collectibles? Star shines, the, yeah, the sto- yeah. Shines. She was yeah. like, she could not live with herself unless she collected every star shine. <laughs> So there, oh, cool. so, so there were so many nights where I would sit there and watch and be like, "Hun, you missed that piece, that that little bit of paint over there on the on the water tower." Oh, okay, and she'd spray it off, and there's a star shine. And yeah. so it was. I had fun just being with her and watching her game, which is That's one cool. of the one of the few times that I can sit because I'm not a I don't watch let's plays. I don't watch. I'm not a Twitch watcher but mm-hmm. that and maybe it was just because it was the wife um but the, i just i got a certain amount of joy just sitting with her and watching her play and have fun yeah no that's neat man i can actually relate with you on the family thing my family's very small and my wife's family on her mom and her dad's side is huge uh we started dating in october and then so the next month thanksgiving she invites me to her dad's side thanksgiving first and I go there and there's like a hundred people in this tiny house and I'm just sitting there like, okay. And they're like, which, whose boyfriend are you? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, Kristen. Oh, okay. Let me tell you an embarrassing story about her. And then I go to start to eat the food and somebody smacks my hand. Psh, we don't eat here. Not here. We eat at the next house. Okay. You know, cause I didn't realize that they were really bad at cooking. Uh, <laughs> and then we go to, uh, I luckily they'll never hear this, but <laughs> Then we'll go to the mother side of the family where the good cooks are. And then we, you know, we get our fill. And again, easily like 40 people there, you know, because they're more spread out on different states like like uh, your your mother-in-law is. But yeah, just like so many siblings. Uh, and again, then like her, my grandmother-in-law has a lot of siblings. So that's why it spills down even more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's just a gigantic family. In fact... We're having a family reunion this week, and it's here in Indy. Everybody's coming in from California, New Jersey, Virginia, Atlanta, uh, Texas. They're coming in from all over. So it's it's going to be a lot of fun, and it's a little intimidating. And I'm 15 years in, and I still don't know everybody's names. But then I look at Kristen, and I'm like, hey, who's that? And she's like, I don't know their name either. Oh, cool. Okay, I feel better. <laughs> I, I would give my wife credit. She helped me in advance by uh, she created a dossier of she she typed out this like this is this person that she is uh, she is my uh, she's second of the of the five and this is her son and uh, and she she had text and she had pictures and it was like this thirty thirty six page wow. file that I could just study and be like okay now we'll be able to recognize aunt Lori and aunt bonnie and and scott and da, 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 and it just it helped but it i mean it it helped to the extent of putting faces to names personalities yeah. is a whole different story and yeah no but my wife's got to step it up she didn't do that for me so right? i gotta have her type out a dissertation about her family all right and I might help her out. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on then. Um, we got PS2, Dreamcast, Xbox. I threw Game Boy Advance on there. I'm cheating again, but I have good memories tied to the Game Boy Advance. So it's okay. Uh, what do you want to do next? Um, I my only I have very very scant memories of the, of the Dreamcast. Um, okay. My dad had a Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. It's the only video game console he bought for himself. Okay. And to this day, he's been passed now five years, so I can't really ask him. Um, but I couldn't tell you why he bought one. He mm. just all of a sudden decided, I want a Dreamcast. And he bought it, and he had maybe two games for it. Um, one of the Soul Calibur games. Mm-hmm. And the original one, probably. Probably. And mm. Shenmue. I don't know that he ever got very far in either one of them. Um, I ended up buying it from him for a little while and I never really expanded the library, um, which I really should have, uh, cause the Dreamcast had some really great games on it. Um, but that is my memory of the Dreamcast is the quirky, 
sudden desire of my dad to have his own video game console. Well, I had mentioned at the time that my close friend, who, um, again, had the PlayStation where I played Metal Gear, he had the Dreamcast, and when he bought it and it failed, he vowed that that would be the last console he would ever buy. I don't, we don't keep up today, so I don't know if he held through up to like the current generation, but I know up to last generation, still PC all the, all the way. However, when I go over to his place to play the Dreamcast, he was very impressed by Sonic Adventure. He was like, look at those footsteps in the sand. And I'm like, wow, you could see his individual feet in the sand. We thought that was cool. We completely ignored how janky it was. Um, but I, he had Shenmue, and I was fascinated by Shenmue. I was, again, most games did not look like Shenmue. They looked at like Metal Gear at best, and not that Metal Gear looks bad, but the graphical leap from Metal Gear to Shenmue, where it's completely 3D modeled, but it's not like some blocky like approximation of a face. It's a modeled face. The voice acting, the time of day, the fact that they modeled all these different objects that you can pick up and look at for no reason. No reason at all. <laughs> and my favorite part about it was feeling like I was in this living, breathing world because every single NPC in that game had a schedule that they followed. They had a home that they went to. And, uh, well, at least that's what they said. When you actually go back and analyze it, there's a few Randys in there. But then you go into town, you can go to this arcade, and it's the 80s. You can pop in and play 80s Sega games like, uh, you know, Super Hang On or... Um, uh, I can't remember what the other ones that they had, but they the fact that you could play a game within a game, I think that was my first experience with that. And I was in love with it. I was like, wow, this is really neat. Um, later on in that same generation, I was able to use an action replay to unlock all the NES games that you can play in Animal Crossing. And that was super cool. Nowadays, it's it's not that special. And there's been iterations where they would make their own retro quote-unquote games to play in a modern game that wasn't even a real game and that that mechanic is neat in and of itself but that paired with everything else and like the random fights you would get in i mean it just felt so fresh and it being the spiritual grandfather of games like yakuza you know i'm super grateful that it exists i'm super grateful that it inspired an entire generation of developers to like where they could take games, you know, narratively and gameplay wise. So huge fan of that. We played a lot of Soul Calibur uh, in college. We played a lot of Power Stone. That was the other big fighter, the 3D one. Um, for those who aren't familiar, imagine like an isometric style fighting game. So the stages are almost shaped like diamonds and you're running around in 3D and the power stone mechanic was if you can grab three of these stones that drop down, you get a, a higher powered version of yourself. But the environments were so interactive. Weapons dropped all the time. You could spin around on like boards and throw things and different characters and interact with the environment in different ways. It was a very fresh feeling fighting game because of that. And something that for the and I'm not the first person to say it. If you type in power stone into Google, you'll find a million people saying this. The 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 fact that Capcom has not made a sequel to this game is baffling. It's bonkers. It like, really is. They're leaving money on the table. Yeah. It has such a passionate fan base for a game that was on a console that was doomed from the start. And, yeah. Y- y- yeah. They got ported to PSP. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah, um, Crazy Taxi, time to make some crazy money. Like, I used to love the shit out of that. Um Outside of emulators, you can't really get the original experience unless you have a Dreamcast, but there's a lot of stuff that didn't re-release with the newer versions or the remastered versions of Crazy Taxi, like all of the Fila and Pizza Hut advertisements and the um, Offspring soundtrack, which Offspring, whether you like them or not, I I like them at the time. I recognize they're kind of a shitty band now, but (laughs) just the yeah, 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 and then you just just take off and... um, like all of the bombastic arcadey driving and all the jumps that you could take and the wacky kind of aesthetic of it, it was, for lack of a better adjective, it was crazy. It, <laughs> it was. was a taxi. Yeah. <laughs> and I love it so much. So I have an emulator that I play it on occasionally and have a lot of fun with it. My, my boys like it too. Um, and the other game that I played a lot of multiplayer with my friend with was Worms. Worms was neat. I don't know if you've, have you ever played Worms? I've heard of it. I have not played it. 
Worms reminded me of the art that I used to make when I was in grade school. I used to make these big sweeping vistas that were like large land masses. And then I would draw the tiniest little warriors and action men and tanks and, and machines. And they would fight each other. And then I would like start to draw. Basically, the scene would unfold while I was drawing it. So I would add in battle damage and add in explosions. And I just thought that was the coolest thing that I could draw when I was a kid. And then someone made a game just like it. Basically, they generate a level and all these little worms drop in. And you can have up to four teams of four worms each. And everybody takes turn controlling one of their worms. And the worm has a time limit to position himself, select a weapon, and try to do the most HP damage to the other teams of worms as he can. And the weapons would range from like a sheep that would explode... Uh, a baseball bat where you could launch the worm off the stage, a la Smash Brothers. A drill where you can make a hole in the level, maybe drop a worm down. Because if you hit the water, and there's like a water line on each level, that was instant death. And the whole idea was just to reduce their HP and be the last worm's team standing. And not for nothing, it's a small mechanic, but it was fun. You could name your individual worms and your teams. So we would name the worms after like, you know, like comic book characters, our favorite bands, our favorite shows, each other. Like, oh my god, Billy just hit me, you suck. And the little uh you could you could pick different accents for them. So they have like little kind of minion-esque, kind of chibi, uh, worm sounding voices, but it could be a Scottish version, an American, a French. He'd <laughs> come around and, and attack you. And it was just so quirky and fun, and it's one of the greatest multiplayer games I've probably ever played. So huge recommendation for worms. If folks out there find a version for their console of choice, because it's still kicking. All right. That's Dreamcast for me. Uh, Well, um, I have nothing for Xbox. Me neither. (laughs) Never touched one. Um, I played it so way after it's, hey, I can't attach any memories to it. Not really. I'm sorry. I'm sure there's people out there like, what about Halo? Even when I had access to other friends' Xboxes and they had me try Halo, I did not have fun. I just, I never took to Halo. I'm sorry. And uh, I'm not a first-person shooter fan. Um, I think, honestly, okay, if we take Metroid Prime out of it, because Metroid Prime is not strictly a first-person shooter, if -hmm. we were just going strict-ass, old-school, first-person shooters, the last one I played might be Quake on the Saturn. Hmm. That's fair. Yeah, I'm just not that kind of guy. Yeah, so. I, it's hit or miss for me. Wow, Jed, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking this might be a three-parter. <laughs> it might be. Because we still got to talk about the elephant in the room, the PlayStation 2. Yeah, the fifth and the sixth gen are so beefy for both of us. I was afraid that this would happen. Let's do this. We have GBA left, aside from PS2. Let's do the same thing we did last time. Let's finish with GBA. We'll read our PS2 list as a spoiler stinger for the next episode. And then we'll come back, do PS2, and then the 7th and the 8th to wrap it up. And I think we could finish that in an hour, hopefully. It'll probably be like a half hour for PS2 and then a half hour for the last two chances. Right? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. All right. Let me get the Game Boy Advance out of the way then real quick. Um... Castlevania. You talked about how Castlevania Symphony of the Night is your favorite Castlevania game. Have you ever had a chance to play Aria of Sorrow or Dawn of Sorrow? Yes, um, because they re-released on Switch, and so I picked up that. I think it's like Aria of Sorrow, Dawn of Sorrow, and one more that I can't think of. So I have I've at least played. Well, because the Game Boy Advance collection, it's not Dawn because that came out on DS and it's a direct sequel to Aria. But the Game Boy Advance collection does have Aria and two other really good ones for sure. Okay. Yeah, I've played I I've played one of them. I I honestly can't remember which one. You should go back and, and pay specific attention to Aria cuz I feel like that's the best spiritual successor to Symphony of the Night. Not that there aren't plenty of Castlevania games to point to that are very similar to Symphony of the Night, but with Aria, the the story and the protagonist paired with the cool mechanic they released where you can actually absorb the souls of monsters and that's how you get different abilities. Um, it's really, really addictive and fun. And when you actually get the story, it's kind of a neat twist on the Castlevania formula. And I think it starts in modern day, which is what really interesting. Like, uh, I think the main character, Selma, he's in high school or something. It's weird. Uh, but 
that game really stood out to me and I played it on an emulator. So I kind of, I kind of cheat with this. I didn't play it in its hay, uh, but I discovered it when I realized that my phone was powerful enough to run GBA games. And I would spend all time, all kinds of time at work when I was supposed to be working, just playing Aria of Sorrow instead. Uh, uh, shout out to Quiet Quitting. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I mean, I think I beat Crisis Core that way too, actually, to be honest. But it was just from start to finish, such a joy, such a joy. Like it really helped me while away the areas while I was stealing money from the previous company I worked for. Um, the other game I played a lot on the Game Boy Advance that I want to mention was Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. I never played... I shouldn't say I did play it. I never finished the original Final Fantasy Tactics on PS1. I'm one of the few people that didn't enjoy the story. I understand it's very mature and it's very adult. I couldn't get past the very stiff, antiquated way a lot of the people in Ivalice talk. And I didn't like the way that that translated Final Fantasy 12. Final Fantasy 9 is technically in that universe, but everybody sounded regular that we're supposed to. Like, nobility sounded like nobility, but, you know, the average Joes, they were relatable. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But in in Tactics, the original one for PS1, everybody was nobility or they were serfs and, like, like, it was just very formal and dry. And I bet if I pushed through, I would have found a wonderful story in it because a lot of people say that they have. I just never was able to. But with Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, it just hit me at the right time. The story in that, again, starts in modern day. Somebody picks up an old book called Final Fantasy in a store. They read it. They get sucked into the world. And there's a dynamic between the kids, how they all react and uh, live in that world. Some want to go home. Some don't want to go home. Some want to to change the world in their image. And they'll do anything they, they can to get that to happen, no matter how unscrupulous. And you're thrust into that story. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was it was another game I played at work, uh, coincidentally, but this one was a telemarketing job that I got when I was in college and I had all the scripts memorized. So I'd literally be playing Game Boy Advance and I would just be talking like to whoever was on the phone. I'm like, yeah, you know, you probably really want this automobile insurance or whatever. Oh, you want it? Cool. Let me just get you set up. And I remember people like we had open queues. So people could see me play and they were pissed. And they would constantly complain to my supervisor, like, that guy over there is playing Game Boy Advance. And I loved him for this. He looked them square in the eye and he was like, he's our bestseller, so he can do whatever the hell he wants. And I was like, yes. Nice. <laughs> because I have a unique talent which helped me in that particular field. I can read something for the first time but make it sound like I'm not reading it, which is is not that unique. There's a lot of people that can do that, but not – in that building at that time, I guess, because I was able to sell a lot of this garbage that they were selling. And I'm not proud of being a telemarketer. I think it's lame. But I was in my early 20s and I needed money. What are you going to do? You know? Dude, I, I worked at a cash till payday loan place. So, oh, you know, yeah. We, those are gross, too. We've all got one of those jobs where we're like, yeah, <laughs> that, that's a black period in my life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a dark time for sure. But that, that was a bright point in that dark time. You know, people were cursing me out and yelling at me and, and, and being really mean, but I didn't care. That probably helped me sell too, because I would just move past them quickly and still have the sunny disposition I needed to sell, because I was just jamming along on my little Game Boy Advance game, having the time of my life. You know what I mean? So thank you, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, for making what would have been a horrible experience that much more bearable. PS2. All right, let's wrap it up with PS2 by saying the names as a teaser, the names of the games we're going to discuss, and then we will pick it up next episode. Uh, hopefully, we'll have the first of this at least released before Thanksgiving. Um, you know, the editing gods, uh, if they if they are kind. Uh, and then, if not the second, I know the third will probably come out after. So when you hear the third, hopefully you're still in the spirit of the holidays. And we're going to keep that holiday theme going, hopefully. Uh, that's all I'll say because I don't want to commit in case we can't. <laughs> but PS2, do you want to rattle off the games that you were planning on discussing? Sure. Uh, let's see. Tekken Tag Tournament. Summoner. Yes. Um, two out of the three God of War games. Um, all right. Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3. Jack and Daxter. Monster Rancher 3. Uh, Grand Theft Auto 3. Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Oh. Hell yeah. And and I'm not going to say what game. I'm okay. just going to give a teaser for this. Okay. The original version of my favorite game of all time, 
comes from the PlayStation 2. And you bet your ass we'll be talking about that one. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm excited to hear what that is. All right, let me rattle mine off. Uh, Grandia 2, Dynasty Warriors 2, Devil May Cry, God of War, Final Fantasy X, Kingdom Hearts, Silent Hill 2, Persona 3, Dark Alliance, uh, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, X-Men Legends, Time Crisis 2, Grand Theft Auto 3, Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3, Shadow Colossus, Bully, Ratchet & Clank, Guitar Hero, Resident Evil, Code Veronica, and Onimusha. Oh, yeah. Oh. Again, this is my PlayStation 1, right? This is my formative console, yep. so was, I got a lot to say. <laughs> there were a couple games there where I was like, shit, I can't believe I didn't even think of that one. So I know, I know. Yeah. And then you mentioned a couple, too, that I was like, yeah. So we're going to have some cross-pollination on our list for sure. I can't wait. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and wrap it up. So, folks... Thanks for coming out and listening to us. We very much appreciate you on First Gen Gamers going down memory lane with us and talking about what we're thankful for. And again, as always, you can check our link tree and communicate with us if you want to talk to us about any games that you're into. Again, we may have to mention them in future episodes since we're kind of staggering out these releases. But even if it's after the fact, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear what you guys are thankful for, for sure. Absolutely. We actually, um, on our... On our Spotify page, we got a comment on our very first episode. Um, awesome. Which, which which I do have to uh, – I will explain where it came from in a minute. But the, it was just a very complimentary um, comment. They said that uh, they love the journey through the generations and that they can't wait to see what other topics we bring to the table and what kind of games, you know, maybe hidden gems, forgotten games, things that, you know, uh, we can remind the gamers of. Um, That's exciting. But the comment comes from the host of a podcast that I guested on. Uh, just I, the episode was recorded a couple days ago, and it dropped this past Friday, um, which was the seventeenth. It's called "I'd Give That Ten Minutes." Um, so, if you'd like to hear me rattle on about games with another gentleman, um, I believe co- uh, the co-host's name is Dave. Um, he's a really great guy. Had a great conversation with him about gaming. Uh, had a it was just a really fun way to spend an evening. Uh, yeah. Check him out. He has a great podcast. So let's check, include that check, link check in our show notes that. too. Yeah. Let's include that link in our show notes too. I love that name, by the way, it immediately tells me what that show is about. Like as a gamer, I'd give that 10 minutes. How many times have we said that before? Right. Like, oh, I'll get that 10 minutes. We'll try it out. <laughs> Wonderful title. All right, folks. Well, again, if you want to get at us, you know our link tree is there. We appreciate you coming out, and we will see you on the unexpected part three of our journey down memory lane, the games that we are most thankful for and the memories that we are most thankful for. Until next time, everyone. Take care.